take a look at the, the PowerPoint that's in front of you there. I, I always uh, have my wife take a look at the PowerPoints just in case I'm missing something visually. Uh, so, you know, sometimes uh, there might be some kind of double image that I didn't see. And she said, that is a great picture for complacency. And then she paused and said, you know what? I could just take your picture in a study while you're writing a sermon. That might work. <laughs> no, she didn't say that honestly, but uh, it would work probably at times, yeah. We're going to look at two different passages this morning there at the bottom of the screen that you're looking at. The first one is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to look at 10 verses there. And the next one is in Hosea 13. We're going to look at six verses there. You don't have to turn to them, but you can. I'm going to read them for you and kind of talk as I read in a little bit here. There's also a Uversion Bible app. So if you have the Uversion app on your phone, you know to press the menu, look for an event near you, and uh, you're in good shape. You'll be able to follow along uh, that way. I want to talk to you today about complacency. I want to talk to you about satisfaction, but not the good kind of satisfaction. You know, we know the Apostle Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And he also says, I've been learned to be content whatever state I'm in. So there's a good kind of satisfaction that comes from God, knowing him, loving him, being loved by him, serving him, and everything else. But there's a bad kind of satisfaction that kind of leads to stagnancy or complacency. And that's what we're talking about today, complacency. Complacency is that feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with yourself or your achievements. And it's one of the lids that we're talking about. I want to ask you, do you remember a company called Kodak? They were the camera company. At one time, they employed 145,000 people in uh, the Rochester area and beyond Rochester, New York. How many of you had a Kodak camera? I had a Kodak camera, yeah. yeah. How many of you uh, used Kodak film? I used Kodak film. Let's see. Yeah, there it is, right, yeah. Um, how many of you have used that camera in the past five years? Yeah, right. Nobody, right? Yeah, some of you bought the Kodak printer only to find out that was a piece of junk. Do you remember that? That just was not a, a good choice at all. On January 19th, 2012, that was eight years ago, Kodak filed bankruptcy. They tried to make a comeback, but well, that didn't happen. And there's a lot of different reasons. You know, when you read, how did Kodak fail? If you Google that, you'll read many, many articles on it, but it boils down to this issue of complacency. In fact, John Cotter of Forbes magazine, uh, he says this. He says of Kodak, the organization overflowed with complacency. Kodak was failing to keep up even before the digital revolution when Fuji started doing a better job with the old technology, the roll film business. With complacency so rock solid and no one at the top even devoting their priorities toward turning the problem into a huge urgency around a huge opportunity, of course, they went nowhere. Complacency. It killed Kodak. It's bad in business. It's bad in education. You don't want a teacher that is complacent teaching your children. It's bad in the medical profession. You don't want a doctor who says, yeah, that may be cancer. I don't know. Eh, whatever. You don't want that. You, you don't want him or her to be complacent. And it's really bad in your spiritual life. It's badder in your spiritual life. <laughs> I didn't look at either of the English teachers when I said that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to, to read some of God's word uh, that kind of helps me understand this. If you're in Deuteronomy, I'm going to read chapter 8. I'm going to read 10 verses there um, and kind of comment as I go along. Verse 1. 
Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Subtext, don't be complacent. Verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So don't be complacent. Verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So don't be complacent. Verse 4. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For heaven's sake, don't become complacent. Do you hear the subtext? Verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. So please, don't be complacent. And verse 10, when you've eaten your fill and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Think of that verse again. When you've eaten your fill and are satisfied, don't be complacent, but rather (laughs) praise the Lord your God for the land he has given you. That's the Deuteronomy passage. Now let's fast forward to Hosea chapter 6, no, chapter 13, and that's 700 years down the road. Let's see what uh, this passage has to say to us. Half a dozen verses here. And again, I'm going to throw some subtext in. When Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel, but he became guilty of Baal worship and died. (laughs) I wonder, is there complacency there? Now they sin more and more, making idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. I sent to these people... It is said, rather, it is said of these people, they offer human sacrifices. They kiss calf idols. I think they become complacent. Verse 3. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling on the threshing floor, like smoke escaping through the window. Such is the case with complacency. Verse 4. But I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I cared for you in a wilderness, in a land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. Yup. They became complacent. Complacency. Full out. Listen to the verse again. It's verse 6. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. They forgot me. They forgot me. That's what complacency looks like in our passage. I wonder what it looks like on you and me. 
what are some of the identifiers of complacency in our life? Well, there's who knows how many. I have a handful of them here I want to share with you. One of them I think of as motion sickness, that is going through the motions. That's kind of an identifier of complacency. And whenever I think of going through the motions, I think of a a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 29, that Jesus quotes later, where it says, the Lord says, these people are near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're going through the motions. Now, you've seen this a lot of places, right? You've seen it in the workplace. Maybe you hired someone if you're an employer or your employer hired someone who really didn't care about the work being done. They were just there to get the paycheck and they spent most of their time looking at the clock, getting ready to go home and, and, and they were just going through the motions of doing whatever the job had. They're not the best kind of employer, employee rather and they're not the most fulfilled kind of worker on the block. I guess that's okay though if you're just earning a living. But what if you're going through the motions in your relationship with God? That, I think, would be a problem. In your walk with Christ, just doing the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. Complacency is probably an element in play. When you're under the lid of complacency, probably going to church seems like a dull routine and you go through the motions. You may have become complacent. Or reading your Bible. It used to be meaningful to read your Bible. You used to really like to read your Bible. You enjoyed reading your Bible. But now you find it's hard to get motivated to read your Bible. And it's really hard even to stay awake when you are reading the Bible. It's not that the Bible has changed. You understand that's the same book. But something happened in you. Is it complacency? Complacency is a lid that might be evident if you're going through the motions. Here's a second potential identifier. I'm calling it challenge avoidance. It is a lazy attachment to routine. My wife and I, in order to unwind in the evening, we watch television together. Like, we just need to shut off our brains because your pastor's wife works till 7.30 or 8 at night. Whether she's here leading a Bible study or not, she's in front of the computer writing a Bible study or something like that. She is the hardest working person that I know. Me? That's my feet on the desk there, you know? (laughs) And so to unwind, we'll sit down in front of television and we'll watch something together. I can can remember years ago, I became extremely tired of network television. I said, I just can't, I can't even watch this all. This is so stupid. It's just the same. It just, I didn't know why, but all the stories, all the shows felt like they were exactly the same. Law and order. I don't know how anybody watches that. It's the same plot, just different people. If you like it, more power to you, man. But wow, my sister and her husband watch it all the time. And I said to her one time, I said, are they still doing that? She said, it doesn't matter. It's always the same. It is. See, what happened is that producers found a formula that worked. And then they became complacent. It's really an old story. Shakespeare did the same kind of thing. He found a formula. Boy meets girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Hallmark Channel. There it is. (laughs) (sighs) All right. And then along came. (laughs) Did you like the Elon? Then along came AMC, A&E, CW, 
BBC, IFC, and they broke the rules. They changed the routine, and suddenly network television does not have the dominance they once enjoyed. What happened? (laughs) They had a lazy attachment to routine. There's no new creativity. That's what complacency looks like. Here's another identity, kind of a whiff of arrogance, feeling like you know all that you need to know. I've really gained all I can. Everyone who's been in church for a significant period of time is really is really vulnerable to this. I've learned everything I need to know. I'm not learning anything. I go there, I don't learn anything. You know? You're vulnerable to it. My favorite example of this is an older gentleman who has since passed away. I love him dearly. I was there when he died. I'd just come to Kerwinsville Alliance, and this man was in his 70s. One evening, I got done preaching. He said, hey, I want to talk to you. At the time, I was still a younger pastor. I was really nervous when someone said they wanted to talk to me. I said, sure. He said, come over. Maybe can you come over sometime this week? I said, no, I want to talk now because I don't want to be worrying about it all week. You know, what are you going to say to me? That's an insecurity thing that I had cooking at high heat back then. What do you got on your mind, buddy? So know what he said. <laughs> he said, when, when you came to be our pastor, my wife and I, we went home and we said to each other, well, I guess God's done teaching us. <laughs> We're not going to learn anything from this guy. That was not a compliment. Now, before I tell you his next sentence, let me state the obvious. If you think that God doesn't have anything left to teach you, you will be complacent. You will not strive to learn, you will not strive to grow, and you will not become the person God wants you to become. But that didn't happen with this gentleman. He went on to say, yeah, I felt like God must not have anything left to teach me, but I'll tell you what, what you said tonight spoke to my heart. He and I became great friends. He blew the lid right off the complacency in his life. You understand that? Feeling like you've learned all that you can, it is a dangerous sign of complacency. One more. Living without goals. When my kids were very small, I even say it to them today, they're both adults with families. I said this word to them. It's kind of a blessing I gave them. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you are just the right person to do them. I say it to you. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you're just the right person to do them. Are you doing them? Are you looking for them? Are you seeking them? Are you pursuing them? If not, you might be living without goals. That might be a sign of complacency. It's not hard to see why complacency is a lid. You know that it's got to hinder genuine Christian experience. It's got to hold back genuine Christian experience. If you're going through the motions in anything, then you're not experiencing it the way that you could be experiencing it. If you're going through the motions in parenting, and I think every parent does this after a while, you have that little baby there that you used to love to go, here comes the food, airplane coming there, you know, and then, but, but eventually you're like, eat this, eat this, right? You know, and you're just going through the motion. And you know, when you're doing that, you're not really experiencing the joy of being a mom or dad, right? Same way in your relationship with your spouse. Are you going through the motions? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to do that. And absolutely in your relationship with God. Going through the motions, it's going to hinder your Christian experience. 
And complacency is a lid because it creates stagnancy. Ask Kodak, right? It became complacent about what it was doing, and it's no longer doing what it's doing. And I think if I become complacent with my walk with God, then my walk with God will become mundane and lifeless and dull. I will not experience what he has, and I will become stagnant in my walk with him. And complacency is a lid, and this is the one that's really, really, really bad. It prevents kingdom advancement. Prevents might be too strong a word, but just ride with me on this for a moment. You understand that you and I do not exist just to exist. (laughs) You are not here by accident on this planet. That God intentionally created us by His intention with a purpose in mind for us as a species and for us as individuals. He redeemed us with a purpose in mind. The Bible speaks of this again and again. One place it does so is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 19 it says, Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You catch that underlying principle? You don't belong to you. You belong to God. It's not about you. It's about God. And while complacency might hinder your Christian experience, and that's sad, and it might create stagnancy, and that's bad, when you are not fulfilling the role God has in mind for you, that is just, I don't know if I can overstate it. I mean, really, to come to the end of your life and not to have done what God has in mind for you to do. Tragic. Catastrophic. You are not your own. You see, when Jesus invites you to pray to the Father with the words, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is inviting you on a mission of kingdom advancement. And that is why He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's inviting you to engage with Him in kingdom advancement. And complacency will stop that. It will stifle that. That's the word I should have had instead of prevents. It stifles kingdom advancement. Complacency is a lid. So how do I get rid of it? I mean, how do I get this lid off of my person? How do I remove the lid of complacency? I want to give you three suggestions. First, re-engage. Choose to spiritually engage. I mean, if our problem is we're just going through the motions, like feeding that kid like without even looking, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe what I need to do is stop that and re-engage to choose to feed that kid. Here comes the airplane, Joey. Here it comes. Oh, yeah, you were the cutest little boy next to Pastor Steve's grandchildren. I think you're so cute. So maybe evaluate your routine. Start thinking about what you're doing. When you get to the end of your day, just take inventory. Okay, so how did I spend my energy today? You get to the end of the week. Just think about it. Here you are. It's Sunday. Going to start a new week. What did I do? What would I do? What did I do that I engaged with God in this week? Get to the end of your life. 
What have I done? Where have I engaged instead of going through the motions? What needs to change? In Psalm 90, the psalmist says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's what he's not saying. He's saying, help us to count how many days we've been alive and how many we have left. He's saying, teach us to realize that our number, our days rather, are finite here on earth. And we need to use them wisely so that we can be wise, so that we can have lives that have meaning, so we can connect with God. So re-engage. Put your phone down. Get off that gaming console. Take a break from that shopping. Turn off the television. Please turn off cable news. Spend some time engaging spiritually with God. If you want to remove the lid of complacency, you're going to have to intentionally re-engage. Let me give you another suggestion, another key to removing this lid, and that would be to reset, to step out of the rut that you're in. Have you ever been using... Oh, man. Drew. Stay right where you are. Do you work in IT? What should be done with that computer? Don't touch that computer, Mr. Winters. What should be done with that computer? Ah, did you hear what he said? He said what every every technical support person you know says. (laughs) Yeah, my computer isn't working right now. Okay, have you restarted it? (sighs) And then you want to lie, right? Dish network. Yeah, I don't know. I, my guide isn't coming up. Have you restarted? Yes. No, you didn't restart it. Yeah. Restart it. Restart it. Okay. There we go. Got it. <laughs> I fooled you, didn't I? How many of you thought it was real? Come on! You thought it was real. Wow, that's so bad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Whenever you get... You almost ran back there? <laughs> yeah, but but you saw the 20%. Yeah, man, even the 20% is frozen. <laughs> oh my, yeah. If you don't remember anything else, you remember that, right? Remember this, sometimes you need to reset. So back in the old days of computers, and I remember when computers were young, I'm studying electrical engineering at the University of Pittsburgh, And whenever your computer did that, well, it didn't do that because it didn't have a screen, but whenever your computer froze and it was no longer working, we use this expression. I want to know, Drew, you work in IT. Who else works in IT knows about computers? And Anybody? Yeah, Lucy uh, Thatchick says she does. (laughs) Yeah. So did you ever hear this expression? It dropped a pointer. They don't use that anymore? Yeah. Okay. It used to be computers, uh, they read assembly, you wrote an assembly language, and it was compiled, and and there was a pointer that told the computer which step it was on, and it had to know, after it executed the step, where is the pointer to come back, so it could continue following this list of software instructions with the pointer, but if the pointer disappeared, the computer lost its mind, and it no longer functioned correctly. I think complacency is sometimes losing your mind. So you don't remember what it was like to be close to Jesus. You don't remember what it felt like to feel good about your relationship with him. 
And maybe it comes through sin. That you just said, I'm doing what I want to do. Or maybe it comes through laziness. Or maybe it came through just a bad thing came into your life and you allowed that thing to win. Whatever it came, however it came, you dropped a pointer. And you need a reset. How do you reset? You reboot. What you're doing when you're removing this lid and this reset is you're just stopping and saying, I want to start over. What do I need to do to begin again in my walk with God? What have I allowed to become mundane? What have I stopped doing? How do I get back onto the right path? And when you do that, you begin to remove the lid. Ask God where to start. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. Third, to remove this lid, you might want to redefine your definition of growth and success. Where would Kodak be today if they, when they saw the rise of the digital camera, had reassessed their business plan? Because honestly, their definition of success was wrong. Their model of success said, let's sell more film. But people aren't buying film anymore. Let's sell even more film then. And when the market changed, everything changed. Something I did not realize until this week. This blew my mind that the man who invented the technology that became the digital camera worked for a company called Eastman Kodak. How crazy is that? They could have exploded. Every cell phone that I've ever had has had a digital camera on it. Before that, I had digital cameras that I carried around. Big ones, little ones, all kinds of shaped ones. And now my smartphone has two digital cameras on it. Some of your phone has more digital cameras on it than you actually need. There's a digital camera right there. There's a digital camera right there. They're all over the building here keeping watch over us. There are digital cameras everywhere. And none of them say Kodak. At least none in the past 10 years. Say Kodak. Huh. Complacency. It kept them from continued growth. Because they thought success was selling more film. And it wasn't. What do you consider? How do you classify? How do you identify success in your own life? In your Christian life? Do you consider success as getting your Bible reading done and out of the way so you can do that one-year Bible plan that you've been working on? Oh, i got to get this out of the way. Really? That's not success. Let me just tell you, success in reading your Bible is hearing the Spirit of God speak to you about your life. That's success in reading the Bible. Uh, doing your church time each week. I, just, I want to get church in because I've got a lot of other things I need to do. Is that success? You got church in? We're going to hit the early service this week because we've got to get this over with so we can go do the important stuff. Oh, boy. I just moved from preaching to meddling, didn't I? Right there, yeah. yeah. But we all feel that way sometimes. Our definition of success is wrong. If your definition of success regarding church is getting it in and getting it over with, that's, that's wrong. It ought to be, I, t- I felt like I touched the hem of his garment. I felt like that I experienced the, something from God today. Even raising kids. How do you gauge success on raising kids? That they're well-behaved, that they're smart, that you don't have to carry them out from the sanctuary kicking and screaming every Sunday? 
Those are all good things, right? Moral therapeutic deism. That's Chandler's word for what Christianity is to a lot of people. It's a matter of morals. I want you to teach my kids right from wrong, Pastor. Therapeutic, I want you to make, I want to feel good about myself. Deism, and I want God to stay up there and just kind of leave me alone. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You understand, in rearing children, the most important thing you can put inside of them is an appreciation for the God who loved them and gave himself for them. There is nothing bigger than that. And you do that by communicating your own faith to them, by walking a walk that shows you love this Jesus that you're pointing them toward. You speak about it on the way, when you rise, when you sit down, all the time. You show them and tell them of Jesus. That would be success. Do you need to reassess your definition of growth, your definition of success? One more thing to consider. In removing this lid, you may need to refocus. You may need to ask God to show you your place in the kingdom. This is a great statement. Your next level with God lies beyond the boundaries of your current experience. The only way to get there is to risk more than you're comfortable with. Think about that. Wherever it is that God wants you to go is probably a place you haven't been before. And the only way you're going to get there is to take a risk and say, uh, this, I'm not really comfortable with this, but I'm going to go. And you hear, we say it all the time, I need to get out of my comfort zone. Okay, yeah. So yeah, whoops. Refocus. Ask God to show you, to show you your place in the kingdom. What I say to my kids when they were little, there are certain things in this world God has for you to do, and you're just the right person to do them. Focus on those things. You remember the opening scripture passages we read, the Deuteronomy and the Hosea passage. The Deuteronomy passage ended with these words, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God, for the good land he has given you. That's a good thing to do. When you praise him for the good things in your life, when you consistently go to him and acknowledge your appreciation for those things, and you walk beside him hand in hand, rejoicing over him and with him in those things, that's good. And complacency isn't part of your experience. But then seven centuries later in Hosea 13, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud, and then they forgot me. Complacency. I wonder, I wonder uh, if you feel like complacency marks your life at all. Do you feel like this is a lid that you experience from time to time? Is it, is it something when you say, you know, Pastor Steve, my spiritual life has become dry, or Pastor Steve, I have just walked the wrong way and I really have become completely apathetic and lazy about my walk with Jesus. Or Pastor Steve, I, I don't know what happened, but it's just not there, you know? Is complacency a part of your experience? If it is, then talk to God about it. N- number one, you're going to have to repent. 
Because however you got here, it is not his fault. And please, don't blame that woman he gave you. Square up. Man up. Woman up. Person up. What's the politically correct way to say that? Okay? Just do it. Take take the blame. And say, I've allowed myself to be complacent. I need to be forgiven. And then ask Him. Ask Him to bring your faith to life. I want to pray. I want to pray that we can do that. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. Okay, let's refocus, okay? Here's, here's what we're here for. We're here to look at our lives and say, have we been complacent? If you sense that you have, then we're going to talk to God, we're going to repent of it, and we're going to ask Him to move us out of that area, to remove the slit. So let's bow our hearts and pray, okay? Father in heaven, as I stand before you, I would acknowledge to you that I have given room to complacence in my life. Complacency. And I am sorry for that. And I have experienced some of the indicators of it, the symptoms, and I don't like them. So I would ask you first to forgive me. I know Jesus died for my sins. And I know that I don't have to carry that guilt and shame that comes with anything (laughs) because Jesus paid it all. I would pray, Father, that you will help me to spiritually engage again. To not just go through the motions, but to be in the moment and to be attentive. May my spirit be attentive to your Holy Spirit. I choose to step out of this spiritual rut to reboot, to restart, to remember my first love and to follow after you. I redefine my definition of success and growth as how well I am walking with you, how closely I walk with you, what I experience in my walk with you. And I set aside all the world's definitions. I actually renounce them in Jesus' name. I look to see my role in the kingdom because I know there are certain things in this world you have for me to do. And I am just the right person to do them. Help me. Help me as I see those things. To move into them. And to find the joy and satisfaction in serving your kingdom. So I might say with a clear conscience and, a, and even a loud voice, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You, God, you, God, spoke me into existence. You sent your Son, Jesus, to redeem me. You own me. I surrender completely to you. I will not remain under this lid. In Christ's name, amen.